Our scripture passage for today comes from the book of Jonah, chapter 3. If you're uh, using your pew Bibles, it's found on page 655. And we're going to be reading the uh, entire chapter. But before we read that, just a reminder that uh, uh, this is a well-known story. I'm sure you all know the story of Jonah, but... uh, Chapter 1 deals with the call that God gave to Jonah to preach the gospel to Nineveh. Jonah, however, wasn't very excited about that call. He didn't care for the Ninevites. He regarded them to be evil, wicked people. And so instead of listening to the call of God, he went the opposite direction to Tarshish and eventually ended up on a ship in a storm came on the Mediterranean Sea and the sailors tossed Jonah overboard at his request. And he was swallowed by a great fish. Chapter 2 tells the story how Jonah came to his senses in the belly of that great fish. He made his peace with God. He repented of his sin and the fish vomited Jonah on dry land. And now we come to the events that take place here in Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. The visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city and proclaimed, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Dear friends in Christ Jesus, Chapter 3 contains some very important fundamental principles that all of us can benefit from as we examine this second chance that God gave to his prophet Jonah. The first lesson that we need to remember is this. Take advantage of whatever second chance God may place into your life. Jonah did. Immediately upon his deliverance from that fish that had swallowed him, 
The Bible records that the word of God came to Jonah a second time and said, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to them the message that I give to you. God is in the business of giving you and me a second chance. He doesn't do that forever. You have no right to assume that he's going to go on giving you chance after chance after chance. But he is patient. He is long-suffering. He does want to give us another chance when we feel the first time. And the very fact that you are here today is a fact, is, 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 points out the fact that God has another chance for you. God is still working in your life. God is still using your word and the worship of, of his people to increase your faith and draw you closer to him so that you can serve him in whatever dimension he calls you to serve. God has a plan for your life. Jonah discovered this. His startling confrontation with God's reality captured his attention. Having completely failed the first time, disobeying God and going in the opposite direction, he comes to his senses. And this time he determines that things are going to be different. He's not going to make the same mistake all over again. He does exactly what God tells him to do. He is obedient to the divine instructions. He goes to the city of Nineveh, even though he's not excited about doing that, because he wants to obey God and do what God asks him to do. And amazing things begin to happen. Why is it that we do not benefit from his example? God is in the business of giving you and me a second chance. At first, when I studied this passage, I was tempted to say that is this really true? Do we all have a second chance? Thoughts entered into my mind about some people who have never heard the gospel for even the first time. They've never heard the story about Jesus and his love and his sacrificial death on the cross. Granted, there is the problem of those who have never heard. We are concerned about the heathen who have never been exposed to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I'm afraid that we spend too much time arguing about how God handles those who have never heard of his love. We use that as an excuse to raise questions about his ethics. How could a good God possibly punish people for something they never heard of? That's a question that philosophers can debate and argue about. But the primary question is, what are we doing? How can we make that message of salvation known and plain to the people we meet from day to day so that they can hear the story of salvation and grace through Jesus Christ? A just and gracious God will deal fairly with those who have never heard the gospel. But he also holds you and me accountable for what we do with the gospel message so that we can share it with those around us so that they can know the way of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. Sometimes we become preoccupied with our personal and spiritual comfort to the point where we neglect the spiritual and physical needs of the people around us who need to hear about God's love and grace. If you are outside of God's will for your life, your one primary responsibility is to make peace with God, to take advantage of that second chance that God gives you and to do whatever it is that God is calling you to do. 
put first things first. God is a lot more patient with us than we realize. It's amazing how long-suffering he is. Some of the most severe cases of God's judgment came upon people only when they refused to repent and take advantage of the second chance that God had given to them. Take, for example, the story of Achan in the Old Testament. Under Joshua's leadership, the people of Israel had entered into the Promised Land. Jericho had just been defeated. Disobeying God's orders, Achan took some of the loot and hid it in his tent. Immediately, the judgment of God came upon the people. They lost their next battle. Still, there was time for Achan to repent of his sin. Somehow, he could not bring himself forward to do it. And you know the story that went on and the price, the terrible price he had to pay. Fire and stoning snuffed out his life and the life of his family. If only he had taken his second chance. Or think of the story in the New Testament about Ananias and Sapphira. They were a husband and wife team. No one said that they had to sell all of their property and give the money to the church. But in that day, people were generous with their their, their prosperity that God had given to them. And they wanted to share whatever they had with the community of faith. And Ananias and Sapphira wanted to do that too. And so they sold their property. But they didn't have to give it all to the church. They could have kept some of it for themselves. However, Ananias and Sapphira told the church that they were giving it all. It was a lie. And when Ananias was confronted with that lie, he experienced the punishment of God upon his life. He was struck dead. A little while later, his wife Sapphira came to meet with Peter, and Peter asked her the same question he asked Ananias earlier. He told Sapphira that Ananias had given so much money to the church, and he asked Is this the amount of money that you receive for the land? And impulsively, Sapphira lied. She put her agreement with Ananias before her commitment to God and the truth that God demanded of her. She didn't take advantage of a second chance that was given to her. And as a consequence, she too was struck dead. God means business. He goes out of his way to give you and me a second chance, but what we do with it is our business. Many have reveled in that opportunity, turning their backs upon sin, joining a host of other biblical characters who believed God's word and who followed him in obedience, doing whatever it was that God was telling them to do and experiencing his blessing as a result. It didn't make any difference how far gone they were or how old they were. When they obeyed God the second time, they experienced his blessing. Take, for example, the story of Lot, the city boy, who chose the bright lights and the best land that was available. Eventually, he came to his senses when the impending judgment of God 
was announced upon that particular city. Or Samson, who fritted away all of his spiritual potential in his early days with a a life that was less than honorable. But in his latter days, he rededicated and recommitted himself to the Lord and experienced God's renewed strength. Or Marshmallow Peter, denier of his Lord, grabbing hold of his second chance in order that he might become rock man Peter, stalwart martyr for the faith. For all of us here today, God is giving us a second chance. There's nothing that you have done that is unforgivable except your refusal to receive the grace of God in Jesus Christ. The only unpardonable sin, according to the Bible, is what is called the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And it makes no difference who you are or what you have done. You can say yes to the Savior. Even though you may be hardened in your sins, you still have the opportunity to repent and turn back to God. God doesn't utterly reject your failure if you are willing to repent and turn to him. This time, Jonah obeyed. He was a much wiser man than he was in those runaway days. It's better to obey the first time than to expose ourselves to the punishment of God that our disobedience brings upon ourselves. Follow the leading of God. Obey the word of God. Stick to the responsibilities that God has given to you. Jonah became a new man, a man of obedience. He shifted his gears. He carried out his responsibility. As unpleasant as that task was for him, he really hated those dreaded Assyrians. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. But this time, because God was calling him to go, he put his personal feelings aside. And he obeyed the voice of God. And he set out for Nineveh to proclaim the message God had given to him. Our talk about Jonah is not restricted to those who need to come back to the Lord. It also speaks to the day-in, day-out responsibilities that God has given to you and to me. Follow God's leading, whatever that leading may be. Perhaps God has never called you to take the gospel and go to some far-off place to proclaim the message that he has given to you. But God does give you responsibilities. He wants you to live out your faith in your home, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your church, in your community, wherever God has placed you in the working world. Wherever you are, you have the responsibility to follow the leading of God, being obedient to whatever he is calling you to do. You must live with integrity, spiritually and personally and ethically, in all of the interpersonal relationships that are yours. He wants you to be obedient to his word. He wants access to every part of your life. He's not interested in one hour a week Christianity He wants every aspect of your life to be devoted to him. Your call may not be to go to some far-off place called Nineveh. Your call may be to be faithful right where you are in the place God has put you right now. 
Thirdly, the preacher has no right to proclaim his own message. There's a major difference between God's word and man's word. There is one item to Jonah's credit. He was never a false prophet. He was a runaway prophet, yes. He was a disobedient prophet, yes. But he was never a false prophet. When it came to short strokes, he preached the word of the Lord, no matter how difficult that word must have been for him. In fact, that's the reason he ran away in the first place. Because he knew that the word of God that God had given to him was not pleasant for the Ninevites to hear. He knew it was a message that they would not be happy about. And he didn't want to be the bearer of bad news. Many today want God's message to be soft, kindly, reassuring. Some want it tough. Those of us who stand in the pulpit are not called upon to preach our own ideas. We are called upon to preach the word of God. Moses recoiled at the idea that that he was supposed to be a spokesman for God when God called him in the desert to lead the people of Israel out of their bondage in Egypt. He claimed a lack of eloquence. He said, I am slow of speech and of tongue. God's response stopped Moses short. And the Lord reminded him, who made man's mouth? Who made him dumb or deaf or hearing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore, go, and I will be with you, and I will teach you what you shall speak. God's word isn't soft, no matter how many preachers try to make it that. Jonah went to Nineveh with a hard word. Verse 4 says, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. God's word is not languid. It has passion. There's an earnestness to the presentation of this message. It was a direct message from the God of creation to the people that he wants to redeem, with whom he wants to have fellowship. We can try to twist the gospel, making it say whatever we want it to say. We can remove all of the supernatural elements from Scripture We can admit talk about sin. We can dismiss conversation about hell. We can strip from our preaching any talk about a life beyond this life. We can accommodate the Bible to what the people of our time and culture are saying. But in so doing, we strip the message of its power. Imagine an ambassador who takes instructions from the President of the United States and reworks them to please the wishes of a foreign prime minister. That ambassador should be immediately fired. How tritely we can play with God's word, fearful of paying the price for straight talk. Let us never forget the authority of the word of God. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And when the word of God is preached... There are results. Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, 
thanking God for the way in which they had received the message that he proclaimed. And he wrote to them, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Check out history. There have been the Elijahs, the Daniels, the Jonas. There have been the Pauls, the Peters. There have been the Augustines, the Calvins, the Luthers, the Whitefields, the Wesleys, the Moody's, the Grahams. In less prominent, more obscure ways, there have been faithful ministers of God's word in humble, obscure settings who through the God's Holy Spirit have proclaimed that word in ways that resulted in the transformation of human lives and people coming to know Christ as Lord and Savior. They tell about a God of love who created us all in his image. They tell how we fell into sin through the first parents, Adam and Eve, and how that sin has permeated every single human being who lives. They tell us how God hates sin. They do not shy away from saying that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There are those individual sins of the flesh. And there are those social sins which permeate us and for which we bear responsibility. God's word says that there's only one way of escape. And that way of escape is through Jesus Christ. We need to repent of our sins and put our trust in Jesus alone for our salvation. We are called to live according to God's standard, not the standard of this world in which we live. And when that word is preached, lives are changed and transformed. Each prophet expresses the word of God in slightly different ways, through their own temperament, through their own human personality. But the results are the same. Some repent, turning to Christ. Others harden their hearts going their own way in continuing rebellion. And finally, there's nothing wrong with changing your mind when it is for the right reason. Prominent in this third chapter of Jonah 3 are three primary changes that took place. First of all, Jonah changed his mind. The man who didn't want to go to Nineveh in the beginning now went to Nineveh. He was wiser this time. No longer is he going to try to second-guess God. He's thrilled once again to be able to preach the word of God, the message that God has given to him. Isn't it amazing how, when opportunities are withdrawn from us, the duties that we once found to be unwelcome are now sweet and pleasant and desirable. Jonah knew that it was an unpopular message that he was called upon to proclaim. But by this time, the man who had been thrown into the ocean, who had been swallowed by that great fish, who had been vomited up on dry dry ground, was now ready to listen to the message of God's word. He was now ready to be found in the center of God's will for his life. 
how much better it is to do the will of God for us, no matter how difficult that task may be, than to try to run away from his omnipresence. There's no way you could possibly run away from God. Jonah changed his mind. The second thing that happened is that the people of Nineveh changed their minds. The Bible says the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Even the king got involved, proclaiming a decree that the people take seriously the message of this foreign prophet. Verse 7, this is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. Let the people be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Perhaps he had heard about what happened to Pharaoh and his armies when they attempted to cross the Red Sea and were drowned. Or maybe he heard about how Ben-Hadad's siege of Samaria had been broken up by divine intervention. Whatever the reason, Nineveh changed its mind. How long this repentance lasted, we do not know. But it was serious enough and sincere enough for God to be touched. Sometimes a person who has never heard the gospel opens his heart more quickly than someone who is jaded by his close proximity to it. Nineveh didn't even know that God would save. They had never heard about the cross of Jesus Christ. We have. Jesus makes his New Testament flashback to Jonah in Luke chapter 11. He notes that even as Jonah was assigned to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be assigned to this generation. And then he went on to say, the men of Nineveh will stand up in the judgment day with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. Thirdly, God changed his mind. The Bible says when God saw what they did and how they turned away from their evil ways, he relented and did not do what he said he was going to do. He did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. What in the world does this mean? Isn't this impossible? Isn't God immutable? Isn't it true that God never changes? God is the same yesterday and today and forever. Yes, God is immutable. He never changes. His purposes are true for all time. But his actions change as our relationship to him shifts. He is unchangeable. And yet this God repents of the evil he said he was going to do 
when we repent of the evil that we have done. At this point, God is very much like a human father. You remember how you feel your father on those occasions when he said to you, if you talk back to your mother again, you are going to be severely punished. If you disobeyed his command and and talked back to your mother, you experienced the consequences of your disobedience and your opinion of your father was one who was harsh and severe and difficult to please. But on the other hand, if you showed kindness and love and respect to your mother and stopped talking back to her, your father's impression was much more kind and gracious and loving. God changes in his dealings with us as we change our hearts toward him. And so these are the four lessons that you and I can learn from this third chapter in Jonah. First of all, take advantage of your second chance. Secondly, when you hear the word of God, do it. Thirdly, be sure you are exposed to the word of God. And finally, be willing to change your mind when it is for the right reason. Let's pray together. O Lord our God, we thank you for your word and for the message of hope that it contains. We confess that we too, like Jonah, have often gone our own stubborn and rebellious ways. May we repent of our sins and conform to your will for our lives as it is revealed to us in your holy word. Thank you for your mercy in giving us another chance to obey and to live for Jesus. We pray in his precious name. Amen.